You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Today, I want to speak to you about the most important word in the English language. Uh, There's a lot of words in the English language. And from my research, not my research, (laughs) my research this week, I found that Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary informs its readers that at their latest official edition includes approximately 470,000 entries. The main page of the Oxford English Dictionary official website states that they cover over 600,000 terms. Collins English Dictionary covers a whopping number of words, 750,000 words. So, if we're going to say there's 470,000 words in the English language to 750,000 words in the English language, this one word is the most important of them all. Without this one word, our lives would be hopeless and meaningless. This word does more than just inform our sentences and give us adjectives and verbs with it, it transforms us. This one word is gospel. Of all the 470,000 to 750,000 words in the English language, I believe there's no more important word than this one word, gospel. If you look up the word gospel in one of these online dictionaries, it will be defined as the teaching or revelation of Jesus Christ. Or we refer to the first four books of the New Testament as the gospels. But when you see this word in the Bible, it has a different meaning than those words. If you see this word in the Bible, it means good news. Ray Ortland in his book, The Gospel, says this term gospel is an announcement. It is like a long-awaited telephone call, and when the phone rings, we grab the phone and eagerly take the call. This is the term gospel. Why would I say this one word, gospel, is the most important word in the English language? Well, let me explain it to you today, and I think you will understand why it is the most important word in the English language. And here's how I'm going to explain it to you. I'm going to explain it by using it as an acrostic. And so we'll look at it in this way. Gospel in an acrostic form to understand it, to know why this word is the most important word is because of God, our sin, separation, provision, eternal life, and life transformation. I believe that these words best encapsulate the gospel. God, our sin, 
separation, provision, eternal life, and life transformation. If you take notes, I would encourage you to take notes on this today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is a great way for you to share the gospel with someone who has never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So let's start with the G in the term gospel. Let's look at God. Everything begins with God. Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, God. Who is this God that we are introduced to in the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible? I think the Westminster Confessions about God written in 1646 best summarizes who this God is that we meet on the first page of scripture. It says this, there is but only one living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body or parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, most gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek them and with, with all seek him and with all most just and terrible in his judgment, hating all sin and who will by no means clear the guilty. And that's just paragraph one. Paragraph two, God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself. He and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone, the foundation of all being, of whom and through whom and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them to do by them and for them and upon them whatsoever himself pleaseth. In this, in his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite and infallible and independent upon the cre creature. So as nothing is to him, I messed up this word when I pronounced it, conjoint or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels and in all his works and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men and every other creature whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of him. In the beginning, God. This is the God we are introduced to in Genesis 1 and 2. And this God creates the world and everything in it. And he creates us to enjoy him and to glorify him forever. And we find that everything is good in Genesis 1 and 2 in the world that he created. Because he would create it and say, this is good. He would create it and say, this is good. Everything that he created was good. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we find a world where God and man are working together well, right? God is ruling and man is rightfully following his leadership under God's rule. And this was how the world was meant to work when God created it. He is the creator, the ruler, and that we as his creation were to submit to his leadership and his rule in our lives. This is the God of the gospel. But then 
we move to the O of the gospel and we find that our sin comes into play. In Genesis chapter 3, after God has created everything is good, in Genesis 1 and 2, in Genesis chapter 3, the story goes terribly wrong. The Bible tells us the story of Adam and Eve choosing not to follow God's leadership in their lives. So they eat of the fruit of the tree that God said not to eat of. And at that moment, sin entered the world. And in Psalms 51 and verse 5, David, as he's confessing his sin to the Lord, makes this statement. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, There is none that is righteous, no, not one. What he's talking about is he's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. Everybody believed the Gentiles, people that were far from God, were obviously sinners. But Paul is making the point in Romans chapter 3 that the Jews, the people that looked religious on the outside, were just as much sinners as the Gentile was. That we all have sinned. What is sin? Sin is anything we think say or do that is not loving God and loving our neighbor. You remember when in the book of Matthew, when this a lawyer comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, of all the 600 and some commandments that we see in the Old Testament, which one is the most important commandment? And Jesus summarizes it and he says, the most important commandment is love God and love others. And so sin is any time we think, say, or do something that is not loving towards God or loving towards our neighbor. And I think if we're all honest with each other, even this week in our own lives, we could look back and say, there was a moment in my life where I didn't think, say, or do something that was completely loving towards God. See, sin is a problem because Isaiah 6, 3 As we get a glimpse into heaven, it it says that the angels are surrounding God and they're saying that he is holy, holy, holy. That God is set apart from creation. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, what did God do with Adam and Eve? He separated them out of the garden, right? There, There was a result of this sin because God is holy He can't be in the presence of sin. In fact, it goes even beyond that because he is just, God must deal with our rebellion. So when sin entered the world, it changed our relationship with God, which leads us to the S in the gospel. It led to our separation from God. In Isaiah chapter 59, in verse 2, It says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Romans 6.23 says that the wages or the result of our sin is death. This death is, yes, a physical death. You you know that. We feel the, the weight of our separation from God every day when we hear of people dying. But this has more than just to do with the physical death. This is a, a spiritual death. A death that separates us 
from God forever. Hebrews 12 in verse 14 says, without holiness, you cannot see the Lord. You are separated from God. We are separated from God because of our sin. Because God is holy, he can't be in the presence of sin. And our sin separates us from him. A way to picture this is we're standing on one side of the Missouri River and God is standing on the other side of the Missouri River and there is nothing that we can do to get from our side of the river to his side. We are in this situation because of our sin. And the sad reality of our separation is that this separation from God is not temporary. This separation from God is eternal. And this separation from God is known as hell. The Bible describes hell as a place of outer darkness, a lake of fire, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of eternal separation from the blessings of God, a prison, a place of torment where the worm doesn't turn or die. Jesus used all of these awful symbols imaginable to describe hell because he wanted his audience to know how horrible life would be apart from God forever. And in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul puts it this way, those who reject God will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. This is the terrifying reality of our sin. That our sin separates us from God. And once you die, you don't get a second chance. I think of Jesus' story in Luke chapter 16. When you get a glimpse at heaven and hell through the rich man and Lazarus, and you find that the rich man had everything you could want in this life. Whereas Lazarus was plagued with physical ailments his whole life. And the only thing he got was what fell from the rich man's table. And the Bible says that when they die, that the rich man died and was buried. The, well, let me go back to verse 22. The poor man, Lazarus, dies and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. That's heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, that's hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out and called to Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that's been fixed. It's forever in order that those who would pass here to you may not be able nor may cross from there to us. And he said, 
then if I can't be comforted, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For, for I have five brothers. Warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. What is he saying? They have the word of God right in front of them. Let them hear them. And Jesus says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the bad news of the gospel. And it is good for us to feel the weight of our sin. It is good for you and I to be uncomfortable with the reality of hell. It's good. None of us like to be separated from people. I, I went to a small Bible college, and because I went to a small Bible college and I loved to play basketball, I got to play basketball there. And when I say I got to play basketball there, I rode the bench most of my time there, so I got to practice with the team and be the guy that... Uh, sort of helped the team be better. Uh, but I didn't get to see much playing time unless we were up by 30 or so. So, but I got to be on the team. And I can remember one time we came up to play Calvary Bible College, which is now Calvary University in Belton, Missouri. It's about three hours from Springfield. And the game was at seven. Of course, we always crushed Calvary. So I got to play in that game, which was fun. And we're going home. It's about 9.30. We stop at Taco Bell to grab, which is always good with the group of college guys to stop at Taco Bell for a three, right before a three-hour trip. So we stop at Taco Bell, and we eat Taco Bell. We go to a little gas station to get gas. I run in to use the restroom, and when I come out of the restroom, the bus is leaving the gas station. I'm like, well, that, they're being real funny. That's cool, you know, to leave me at the gas station. And then they get out and they go to the stoplight and I'm still sitting there like, this is a funny joke, right? Then the top light turns green and I notice this, this is not a joke. They've literally forgotten me at the gas station. So they're going over the bridge. I begin to run from the gas station. I'm, my thought is I'm gonna run across the highway, which is really smart. So I start running in the grass because they're gonna come and go down, right? And I start running as fast as I can. I'm yelling and screaming at the bus. They don't hear me and they just go on. And so here I am. And I know this is going to blow some of your minds, but this was before cell phones, right? Like there was no, I couldn't pull out and say, hey, you've left me. Here I am by myself, 10 o'clock night, Belton, Missouri. My team's headed to Springfield three hours away. I'm, I don't know anybody in Kansas City. So it's like, you know, what am I going to do? So I go back to the gas station, sit on the curve, and start processing it. My mom and dad live in Texas, probably not going to call them. They can't really help me at this moment, you know. I got a girlfriend at school, Ruth, who's my wife now. I can, you know, go use the pay phone, blows your mind. There used to be a phone that was at gas stations that you could pick up and like 1-800-COLLECT. They would pick up on the other side and say, 
Do you accept this phone call? Yes. It's, I know it's weird. It's, it's really, it is, it was weird, but you could, I could call Ruth. She's three hours away at school. She could come get me, but there was a weird feeling there, right? Of this separation. But the cool thing was our bus was full that day. And so there was a guy that I was sitting by. His name was Mike Smith. And luckily when they got on the highway, Mike Smith looked at the seat next to him, which why doesn't this happen when he was at the gas station? He looked at the seat next to him and thought, anybody seen Steve? And so about 15 to 20 minutes later, I see the headlights of the bus coming back to get me. Because of Mike Smith, who I'm still a little bitter at, provided a way for me to end my separation from my team. And here is the good news of the gospel. God has provided a way for you and I to not be separated from God for eternity. And the provision is Jesus. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. The CSB, I love how they translate it. God loved the world in this manner. How? He sent his only begotten son. This is incredible. Jesus is God making a way for us to be right with him. Jesus is God making a way for us to not be separated from God forever. Jesus is God making a way for us to not have to receive the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. He remembered us. Jesus, he is our provision. And God would choose to bring Jesus into this world through the virgin birth. And that is hugely important. Why? Because we are sinners and through the seed of Adam, sin comes. But God in his graciousness would take his seed and he would place it in the seed of, he would place it in the womb of Mary. And Jesus would be fully God and fully man. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, everything he thinks and everything he says and everything he does in this life is loving towards his father. There's never one moment where Jesus is like, ah, this is not good. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what feels right, right? Everything he does, everything he thinks, everything he says, it's right towards his father. He never sins. Here's what Jesus does. He lives the life that you and I could never live because of our sin. And then he does the unthinkable. He lives the life that we couldn't live. But here's the good news of the gospel. He then takes the wrath of God that was rightfully our punishment on himself. He dies in our place. He dies instead of us. First John chapter four and verse 10, John puts it this way. And this is love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is this propitiation? This is the idea of that as God, Jesus, is absorbing the wrath of God, he is turning away the wrath of God from us to himself. And he's becoming our provision, our sacrifice on the cross. He died in our place. But we know this church, Jesus does not stay dead, right? Three days later, he walks out of that grave. And as Peter is preaching the good news of the gospel in Acts chapter 2, he says it this way, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He rose from the grave. Jesus conquered the evil one, sin and death through his resurrection. And Jesus says this to us today in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. How do I go from one side of the Missouri River where God is not to the other side where God is? Jesus. He is the bridge that gaps that for us. Listen, there's nothing that you can do to get across that river. There's nothing you can build. There's no religious activity that you can do. It is only by the grace of God that you can bridge that gap through the person of Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus provide for us? This is the E and the L of the gospel He provides us eternal life with God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Because of Jesus, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear separation from God. Because Jesus has bridged the gap for us, we have eternal life With God. Just as the thought of eternal separation from God is terrifying, so the thought of eternal life with God is wonderful and glorious. Just as horrific as it is to think about spending an eternity apart from God, so wonderful and glorious is it to think about the reality of an eternity with the presence of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Where Revelation tells us there'll be no need for the sun or the moon. Why? Because his glory will be so great, it will fill the whole earth. I mean, here's the deal. Think about the greatest pleasure that you have in this life. There is no pleasure that will match being eternally in the presence of God. It doesn't even scratch the surface of that eternal life. But here's what I believe And this is why I put L, life transformation. The gospel is just not good news for your future. The gospel is good news today. Jesus just doesn't have an eternal plan for you. Jesus has a present plan for you. Jesus is not just after your life insurance. Jesus is after your whole portfolio. (laughs) This is... 
the good news of the gospel that because of the gospel, you and I are set free from our past. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That changes my present reality, church. That changes how I live today when I understand that the gospel just doesn't give me eternal life. It just doesn't give me fire insurance. The gospel transforms my life today and I can live with confidence in Jesus Christ because there's no condemnation. No matter what my past looks like. No matter whether I've been good and religious and went to church every day of my life since I was a baby and I've said and done all the right things, there's still no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or whether my story is one as I preach the same message to the group of men sitting in the prison on Wednesday night, that there's no condemnation for those men that are in Christ Jesus. That their stories are marked by pain and hurt and bad decision after bad decision. There's no condemnation for them either. Do you think that doesn't change their reality? It sets us free from our past. What a great gift. It sets us free from the power of sin. Romans 6 and verse 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. The gospel sets us free from the power of sin. Is the presence of sin still here? Yes. We're still going to struggle. But the power of sin has no claim on me. There's nothing that I can say in my life. I can't have victory over that because of Jesus Christ. There's no addiction in my life. There's no struggles that I have in my life because of Jesus Christ that I can say I can't have victory in that. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. That changes my present reality. If you're addicted to pornography or you're addicted to drugs or you're addicted to alcohol or you're addicted to food today, that's not your story if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You can be set free from that because of Jesus. There is no sin that can rule your life. You've been set free from the power of sin. And we've mentioned this, but we've been set free from the fear of death. I love the story. And we talked about this at Easter in John 11. Where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And whoever believes in me, though he lives, he shall never die. Do you believe this? And so for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ, it transforms how we view death. Death is not something to be afraid of. Death is actually a better reality for us when we will be in the presence of God. So we don't fear death. But we live in light of the reality of that we will spend an eternity with God. See, the gospel transforms our life. It transforms how we view ourselves, our wives, our kids, our work, our entertainment. The gospel changes our desires. The thing that we used to desire now, we don't desire as much anymore. Because the gospel changes our lives. And this is my concern. For some of you in the room today. Because you believed everything up till L. But for you, you said a prayer when you were a kid. But your life doesn't look like Jesus any more than it did when you were a kid. And I'm concerned because why? Because when Jesus comes into our life 
He just doesn't save us. He takes ownership of us. And when he takes ownership of us, it changes how we live our lives. It changes us from the inside out. This is not legalism of we're looking for marks. What are the things we look for? The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-discipline, right? Self-control. He transforms us from the inside out. You have a choice today, church, to respond to this good news. You can pick up the phone and answer the call or you can hit ignore. You can believe and receive it today or you can deny it and reject it. The Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who believe, who receive him and believe in his name, they can become a child of God. The good news of the gospel today is you can do that right here where you're sitting. That you can believe in Jesus. You can say, yes, I believe that there is a God who created the world to work in a certain way. And yes, I believe that because of my sin, I've been separated from God. Not only in this life, but in the life to come, we will be separated from God. But I believe that through God, through Jesus, there was made a way. Provision was provided for me through the person of Jesus Christ. And now I can have eternal life and not just eternal life. I can have life transformation today. If you would believe that today, you can become a child of God. And I would invite you right where you're sitting to believe and receive it, to take it for yourself. And for those of you that have done that, my prayer today is that this gospel has encouraged your heart. That it has reminded you about why we are followers of Jesus Christ. And that it will motivate you to think of someone in your life that doesn't know the good news of the gospel. They don't know that God created the world to work in a certain way and that because of their sin, they're separated from God. But Jesus came, was provided through God. Jesus was provided as a means to give us eternal life and to transform our life today. And you could take this simple acrostic of the gospel and you could sit down with them and say, hey, can I share the best news I've ever heard? In fact, can I share with you the most important word in the English language? And by God's grace, maybe he would draw their heart to himself. Father, thank you for your word today, for the good news. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or online, that has never put their faith and trust in you, that today would be the day of their salvation. Please, draw the heart of the person that thinks they're so good and so religious that they don't even need you anymore. And draw the heart of the person that's sitting in here or listening online that thinks in their life, I don't really need God, I got a good life. 
I pray today that you would draw them to yourself, Lord, that you would save them from their sins, save them from being separated from you forever. May they believe and trust in you. And for those of us, Lord, that have done this, I pray that our hearts were warmed by the gospel today. I pray that our hearts would be so moved by you that it would lead to us having courage to share this good news with the people in our life that don't know it. With the people in our life that are headed for an eternity apart from you. May you use us to be the people that would stand in the way and say, there's better news. And I want to share the best news with you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.